Okay. Uh, for our second message today, we have a sermon from Mr. Barnabas Grayson entitled, Peace on Earth, Goodwill Toward Men. Mr. Grayson. Wait for the green light. I don't guess it's going to get any green at all. <laughs> Ken's uh, introduction reminded me of this commercial on TV where you see this uh, man who's coming through the snow out of the forest, snow-covered forest, and he's got this evergreen tree on his shoulders, and there's a bear running behind him, and he's uh, hollering, open the door, open the door, he's got it, you know, and uh, I guess he made it, but, you know, that reminded me of that. And it also reminded me of... Uh, a bear that was chasing this hunter one time, and uh, it was gaining on him, and he couldn't outrun the bear, and so he stopped, and he knelt down, and he began to pray. And out of the corner of his eye, he noticed the bear also praying. <laughs> and so he felt like he was saved, and so he asked the bear, what was he praying about? And the bear said, well, I, I'm just giving thanks for this meal I'm about to have. <laughs> Yeah, what a difference one little joke can make. <laughs> I know you're probably familiar with this uh, little symbol here. What does it mean to you? Peace, yes, peace. Peace. The title of the message, of course, is Peace on Earth, Goodwill Toward Men. It... Uh, was probably back in the 1960s, I think it was. Uh, yeah, it was the 60s. It's been a long time for me anyway, but that was the symbol of peace. And that symbol came about as a growing response to the growing threat of nuclear war. And you know, that is why we really need peace on earth and goodwill toward men and, and nations and diplomats go about it in various ways. But uh, there came a campaign for nuclear disarmament. And so they needed a sign or a logo to symbolize that, uh, uh, that would represent that effort of nuclear disarmament. So in 1958, there was one design that stood for nuclear disarmament. Of course, you can probably trace this symbol all the way back to uh, other ancient symbols. But this is what they settled on. And it came to be a symbol for peace, as there are other symbols that we see around us that stand for the symbol for peace. And as I understand it within this circle, uh, you know, uh, on, on board ships, uh, the sailors, they have this way of communicating with ships across the way by giving these signals. I can't think of the word for you. Yeah, that's it, symbol. I was thinking pinafore. That's why it didn't come up on my... <laughs> it gave me something else about a fashion design or something. So, yeah, it was something like that. Yeah, semaphore. And uh, anyway, uh, uh, the way they came about that as a symbol was, uh, it was for nuclear disarmament. The uh, semaphore for uh, D was uh, when you uh, stood straight, you know, the flags down your side. This meant for the letter D, and you could spell the alphabet, you know, in different ways. And that was for D, and when it was spread out, that stood for N, nuclear disarmament. So you have uh, the D and uh, the... Uh, in, yeah, the end. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. I see I have a, it's probably about, what, we've got about 65 minutes, 70 minutes till 3 o'clock, so I should have plenty of time to finish this. Didn't think I would, but I'll try to, you know, get everything said before it freezes. <laughs> uh, made me think of another word I shouldn't use, you know. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. As you know, at this time of year, uh, there are many who are in the so-called Christmas spirit. The, uh, you know, the feeling of peace and, and goodwill toward man. And it's, you know, it's spread throughout the community at this time of year. Happy holidays or Merry Christmas, say those who 
joyfully express their goodwill toward men in observance of the supposed birthday of Jesus Christ. Yet, as the Bible and secular history shows, Christ was not born on December 25th. Instead, we know it to be rooted in sun worship and the birthday of Mithras, the Iranian uh, heavenly god or the uh, god of heavenly light, who was born on December 25th. We also know that it seems rather curious for anyone to wish someone a Merry Christmas because the word means Mass of Christ, which in Roman Catholicism is a celebration of the Eucharist or, or, or the Holy uh, Communion. So in that observance, a round wafer of bread is taken and a cup of wine is taken in the belief that it is uh, changed into the literal body of and blood of Jesus Christ in an unbloody sacrifice that's offered to God. So a mass then is a memorial of Christ's death and resurrection. So that's why the phrase Merry Christmas has you know, a curious ring to it. But we know people mean well in expressing their goodwill. But the one thing about this time of year is that for most, for many, maybe just a few, who, whatever, the case may be, the focus is on Jesus Christ, which, you know, as we have noticed, and as uh, many have noticed, there is a diminishing more and more over the years as commercialism and materialism and Santa Claus replace, you know, the reason for the season, as he say. Though we don't celebrate Christmas with all its uh, trappings and, and things surrounding it, we do look back to the nativity of Christ and what we know about his birth and why he why he was born I suppose anytime you pass a yard that has you know the wise men and the shepherds and uh, Christ there in the manger that it does remind you you know Christ was born at a time somewhere what some scholars believe was in the autumn so there's nothing wrong in looking back at the story of Christ because it's in the Bible so I'd like to begin in uh, the book of Luke, chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, you know, which means house of bread, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were some in the same country, shepherds, abiding in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Scholars believe that these shepherds were not the ordinary kind of shepherds, that these were uh, the temple shepherds who were caring for the sheep that were to be sacrificed in the holy place. You know, sacrifice animals, as in the Lamb of God, pointed to Christ as the Redeemer. So the fact that these shepherds were specially notified was perhaps symbolic that the coming of Christ would no longer call, you know, for uh, animal sacrifice. Behold, the Lamb of God who would give his life once and for all. Verse 9, And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. That is, these, you know, these shepherds there that were out there in the field. You've probably heard of uh, people being uh, abducted by aliens or seeing UFOs, and they report uh, a strange bright light things of that sort, strange happenings. And so, you know, they were terrified. So you can use your imagination when these shepherds were out here in the field and they saw this bright light, this, this angel of the Lord uh, that shone right around about them. But the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you glad tidings, or good tidings of joy, which shall be to all people, to all people. Now, you know, as shepherds tending the flock, and you might have to picture yourself in their place, here you are watching over sheep, 
and you know that you've got to keep them uh, healthy, you've got to feed them, you've got to care for them, you've got to water them, and so on. And yet at the same time, you looked at these animals that that they were there in order to provide for life, and when they were offered as sacrifices to provide for life and, and forgiveness of, of transgressions. So they must have seen that, that life is built upon the death of these animals that was in their care, and that was of utmost and meaningful importance. So in the same way, when we look upon um, physical life, we see that it is, when we consume these animals, you know, it gives us physical life, all of these uh, lower orders of life, like, uh, you know, the sheep, and the cattle, and, and the fish, because we consume them so that we can, you know, live physically. In the same way, Christ gave his life for you and me, and that we abide in him, and that we live in him, because he provides us with the spiritual provisions that make for eternal life. In the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, we just, uh, we'll come back to uh, this Luke here in a minute. It says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. You know, whenever you are baptized and you accept the way of God and, and you learn and, and you grow in grace and knowledge, you know, a lot of things become new. Your old ways, you shove them out and replace them with your new way of life, your new way of thinking in Christ. So when a person is in Christ, they have the mind of Christ and his way of looking at things in the right way. They have the Holy Spirit. He's a new creature living in Christ. So the whole old ways of human nature are replaced by new thinking and approaches. Next verse, and all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. And so we see how God has reconciled us to him through the life of Jesus Christ. So all things are of God. Verse 19, to wit, that God was in Christ. God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. This ministry of Christ concerns reconciliation. That's, you know, a bringing together and restoring of friendly relations between God and man. That's what reconciliation is, is about. And that message was carried on by Paul and the other apostles, even into the ministry today, that God through Christ, came with the ministry of reconciliation. So back in uh, verse 11 of Luke chapter 2, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. So we can see at this, that at this time of year, there is some, you know, if not a whole lot, of appreciation that there was a Savior born who would take away the sins of the world and that there is goodwill expressed along those lines. Verse 12, And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. This manger is, you know, like a crib for fodder, for grain, and, you know, grain for bread. And suddenly there was the angel, a there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass that the angels were gone away from them into heaven. The shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which is to come to pass, which the Lord has made known unto us. So the shepherds went on to visit the Savior, and so we also find also that a group of wise men also. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, and behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. Now these wise men were, you know, from the east, 
in Persia. They were knowledgeable sky watchers or astronomers and astrologers who sighted this glow, this star in the sky. So they journeyed toward Jerusalem and sometime you know, after Christ was born. And verse 2, when they got there, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? We, for we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. So they must have known and had been watching for that event that was to come. And in Micah 5.2, you know, we read that there was to be born a ruler in the little town of Bethlehem, you know, the house of bread. But when, verse 3, when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. So news began to spread that something was going on. There was this, this story of, of the birth of a ruler or a king. And so when he had gathered all of the chief priests and the scribes of the Bible together, he demanded of them where Christ should born, be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. And so you know, they quote that part in, uh, from the book of the prophet Micah. Uh, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of you shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily, or privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. So he was asking them all kinds of questions, wanted to know the ins and outs of this sighting and, and what they thought about it and, you know, why they were there. And so, verse 8, he sent them to Bethlehem. And he said, uh, go, search diligently for the young child, and when you found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. So when they had heard the king, they departed, these uh, wise men, and, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. So this star must have, and I am, it's only in my, the way I picture it, they must have appeared to them this bright, shining orb, a, a light like the celestial objects that they were, you know, familiar with looking at when they looked into the heavens, seeing in the sky, but it was quite different. And verse, and we see that uh, this star was actually a messenger of the Lord because we see where it led them until it stood over the place where Christ was. Verse 10, and when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they came into the were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. So at this time of year, you know, when, uh, you know, we're in the middle of this, this, this Christmas season, the spirit of Christmas and so on, we, we know, you know, we know the truth about those things, but there are symbols there that, you know, really root from uh, sun worship and Baal and Mithras, but uh, like the star that you might see someone uh, decoratively put over one of these uh, 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 places, the manger and so on, they all can't help but remind us of the true story of Jesus Christ and his birth. And when we look at frankincense, that's a, that's a high quality uh, perfume oil or an incense. And just like the expensive uh, colognes and perfumes of today, it was, you know, a part of that. And so, you know, when you go to some of these big department stores and you see colognes in there, you see some that are really pricey. I settle for usually a can of right guard, but, uh, but you know, sometimes I might get a gift that might be expensive. Uh, I put on some cologne the other day, and uh, you know, there's, you know, you got to put on the right amount. And, uh, but you, when you put it on, you think, well, I need to put it on so that at least I can smell it. And got in the car with Carolyn one time, and <laughs> she, uh, she had a polite way of saying it. I think she said something 
cologne smells good. <laughs> and I had some friends, and I was wearing some right guard once upon a time, and, and, and they, they told me, uh, don't go near uh, Barnabas. Uh, he, he, he might go up in flames because, <laughs> because of all the stuff I was wearing underneath there. But anyway, the, this frankincense was, you know, very valuable perfume oil. At the same time, so was that, uh, that myrrh, a valuable oil that was also used in medicines, as, you know, as ointments as well as incense and perfumes. So when Joseph and Mary and the babe went off to Egypt, uh, you know, uh, I think they may have had a, a popular brand of cologne that Joseph was able to sell and get along in in Egypt, popular among the Egyptians. So being warned of God, verse 12, in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and be you there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. So he's telling Joseph, get up, take Mary and the babe, and hurry down to Egypt, and stay there until you hear or bring you word to come back, because the young child is in danger. And those gifts that, the, uh, that were presented to Christ at that time uh, came along at an opportune time, because that financed their, their way to Egypt, and while they were there. So the wise men listened to the warning that God gave, and so did Joseph to the Spirit of God. In verse 14, when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt and was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of, uh, of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. So you see, when you listen to the Spirit of God, it is there to lead you in the right way, to warn you or to give you a gut feeling of danger. And this is uh, what happened. Verse 16, then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, because, you know, they didn't return like he told them to do, he was exceeding wroth and sent forth and he slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coasts thereof from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. So whatever peace on earth and goodwill toward men, we see where there was that abruptly ended. Matthew 10, verse 34, we see this scripture where Christ said, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. That's because Christ came with choices that must be made. Choices that do not always smooth out, but can set someone else at odds. And one might wonder, well, where is, what about the ministry of reconciliation and the peace on earth and goodwill toward men? We see in verse 36 that, a, and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. Verse 37, he that loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he that loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. When you look at Christ and you look at his teachings, we know that they must come first, that we must seek first the kingdom of God and all those things that make for entering into that kingdom, having right to the gates of that kingdom. And we, of course, have special love for our family, but it must not go against the will of God or his words. And verse 38, and he that takes not his cross and follows after me is not worthy of me. So, you know, Christ is with us through his word. You know, as mentioned earlier, the scripture where two or three are gathered together in his name, you know, by his authority and his honor, he is there among them and he is among us through his word as, as we hear it or as we read it. 
or as we think about it and so on. But Christ is, is talking about full commitment to his way, even if it means going against family or friends who seek another way. For example, they might say, you know, why don't you celebrate Christmas with us or do those things? And, you know, we, we give our reasons and so on. But in this day and age, godly beliefs, as verse 38 tells us, uh, he that taketh not his cross and follows after me is not worthy of me. In this day and age, godly beliefs can be burdensome, but we're not to, you know, give up on them uh, and to go on with the beliefs that we have uh, learned from the word of God. I had a friend and a classmate who died years ago of cancer. We played high school football together, and we'd been to... Uh, classmates even in elementary school and he was the fullback and I was the quarterback and I did a lot handing the ball off to him because I didn't want to run the ball and get hurt <laughs> but we we were friends and we had had a special bond years later uh, after graduation uh, we had an opportunity to get together and we uh, started to play some uh, a little uh, uh, you know, football, backyard type football uh, with a bunch of other boys. And as you know, you get a bunch of boys together, uh, it can get things can get a little rough. And one of the players on his side said uh, something about getting back at a player on my side. And I heard my friend tell him, he said, uh, John, vengeance is mine, thus saith the Lord. And I always remember that, thus saith the Lord. And whenever we are confronted with different choices, it's the thus saith the Lord that should be foremost in helping us to make our decisions that might determine uh, a good or bad action. Thus saith the Lord. And that's what I remember a lot about him, and he later became a minister. So we know that along the way in life, there will come uh, disagreements, and choices to do right or wrong. And unless the Lord guides you, peace will be hard to come by. Verse 39, He that finds his life shall lose it. And he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. Now, the only way I can see this, uh, and it may be incorrect, is that when someone does things his own way in order to make things easier for himself, rather than going through the straight gate, and doing those things that are right in the eyes of the Father, it is more likely to turn out bad. And we've read many times where the scripture says, the heart is wicked and deceitful above all things. And to not lean to you know, our own understanding. But he that puts trust in the Almighty, and in his way, even though it may mean certain death in this life, he will actually find life and glory in the resurrection should he die for righteousness' sake. And that's what must have gone as a promise in those who were burned at the stake, went through all sorts uh, of, uh, of awful uh, punishments. Because we know that there were many in history who have not given up the faith or recanted it, but were martyred for Christ's sake, knowing that they are dying for his glory and, and righteousness and for the kingdom to come. So the message of Christ is one that does not bring earthly peace because it can stir up opposition just as it did when Christ was born. But in this life, we are to be harmless as doves and wise as serpents and you know, not cast our pearls before uh, the ungodly lest they turn and rend us. In Luke 18... Verse 9, he spoke this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves, that they were righteous, and despised others. Verse 10, two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a, a publican. Now, the Pharisee stood and he prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. Sometimes in our heart we compare ourselves with others, thinking 
wrongly that we are better than they, but we must, you know, not do that. What we should do is, before we think that way, is to compare ourselves with Christ, who seeks to reconcile us to the Father by being meek, by being humble and gentle and forgiving and loving and compassionate. But here was this Pharisee who said, you know, he's self-righteous and all, verse 12, I fast two times in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess, but the publican, standing afar off, would not lift so much as his eyes unto heaven. But he just smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He was really feeling that he needed reconciliation with God. And he smote his breast just like you might do in pleading or appeasing or seeking forgiveness or direction from, you know, the human nature that is in all of us. God be merciful to me, a sinner. Because the scripture says that there is none righteous, no, not one. That we're all sinners. And this publican was able to say that. I'm a sinner. I tell you in verse 14. This man went down to his house. Justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalts himself. Shall be abased. And he that humbles himself. Shall be exalted. And they. <clears throat> we read in verse 15. The adults in the crowds perhaps. They brought unto him. Also infants. The Greek means that these are young babes or little children, that he would touch them. You know, they were seeking a blessing. They were uh, wanting something from Christ, perhaps a miracle for their child. Because, you know, remember how the woman uh, uh, reached out and touched the uh, hem of Christ's garment, and she was healed of a blood issue that plagued her for years. But... Uh, when the disciples uh, saw it, uh, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them, called them, and he said unto them, and said, Suffer, these little, chil suffer little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. So these adults that we see here were reaching out to Christ in behalf of their little ones, expressing their faith, their desires, and to, uh, that Christ would uh, touch them to, you know, put their arms around them, to bless them. Because there are many people who do not have peace in their lives, and we're to be like little children. Because as little children, sometimes we get ourselves into trouble, and we do not have peace. And due to one thing or another, these are they in this crowd who are seeking good from Christ, who represents the kingdom of of God that is to come. So Christ wanted his disciples to understand what it is about little children. Is it not their trust and their innocence, their faith, their obedience, and that we are all children before God the Father? And from our own experience and observations, we see little children like that because before they become, uh, you know, going their own way as adults, perhaps some apart from the calling of God and the kingdom of heaven. Verse 17, Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter therein. So we need to be humble, to be faithful, and obedient to the way of Christ, the Father who calls us. Verse 18, and a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said unto him, Why call you me good? None is good except one, that is, God. And uh, you know the commandments, he said to this uh, man, this ruler. Do, don't commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And he said, all these have I kept from my youth up. Now when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, 
yet lack you one thing. Sell all you have and distribute unto the poor and you shall have treasure in heaven and come follow me. So this ruler had riches that tied him down and he didn't want to uh, just give it away. He wasn't ready to commit. And that's what Christ is looking for as far as commitment is concerned. So verse 23, when he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich, like a lot of wealthy people today. And Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful. And he said, how hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? For it's easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. So here we have this self-made man, not really God-made, not ready for the kingdom of heaven. And so the disciples, when they heard it, they said, well, who then can be saved? And he said the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Then Peter said, lo, we have left all and followed you. And he said unto them, verily I say unto you, there is no man that has left house or parents or brethren or wife or children for the kingdom of God's sake, who shall not receive manifold more in this present time and in the world to come, life everlasting. Revelation 22, verse 14, it says that blessed are they that do his commandments that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates of the city. For without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers. He, you know, about murderers, it says he, even he who hates his brother is a murderer. And idolaters and whosoever loves and makes a lie. You know, a lie, of course, is whatever is contrary to the word of God. And perhaps the first lie that little children hear is about, about uh, Santa Claus. Because here they have this picture of this uh, jolly fellow, whiskers, and dressed in red, and bag of goodies on his shoulders, and he's riding a magic sled, and there's reindeer pulling him, flying across the skies. Because on Christmas Eve night, you'll probably hear this if you tune into the news, no rad, they'll have him tracked on radar, and the weatherman will bring you up to date on where he is. He should be over uh, Tulsa here in a few minutes or so on. And so, you know, it's as though Santa is truth when we know that it is a lie. Perhaps the first lie that little children uh, believe in. Of course, little children get over it. I did. But we live in a world, of course, where there are a lot of complications. And we know, you know, people are just complicated creatures. And who knows what things can uh, push their buttons, you know, like, uh, like in the first message, we hear how inadvertently, supposedly, I guess, you know, a button was pushed and, you know, everything just came out. I wonder what this button will do, you know, don't touch that button and everything just comes out of it. Human judgment, of course, can turn out to be hasty and revengeful and reconciliation can fall by the wayside if God is left out. In the book of Samuel, Chapter 25, uh, we see where David had sent some chosen men to ask this great ranch owner by the name of Nabal for some food for his men. After all, David and his men had uh, done some favors for Nabal and his men, but Nabal sent them away with nothing. And it angered David. So he had his men get their weapons and they would attack Nabal's herdsmen while they feasted. So Nabal's men, they went to Abigail. So Abigail, Nabal's wife, took food to David's men. And along with a humble apology for her husband's rude behavior toward David. Verse 13, David said unto his men, Gird you on every man his sword. And they girded on every man his sword. And David also girded on his sword and there went up after David about 400 men and 200 abode by the stuff, stayed by the stuff. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Look, 
David sent messengers out of the wilderness to salute our master, and he railed on them. But the men were very good to us, and we were not hurt, neither missed we anything as long as they were conversant with them and when we were in the fields. They were a wall unto us, both by day and night, all the while we were with them, keeping the sheep. Now therefore, know and consider what you're going to do, what you will do. For evil is determined against our master and against all his household, for he is such a son of Belial that a man cannot speak to him. Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves, two bottles of wine, five sheep ready dressed, and five measures of parched corn, and a hundred clusters of raisins, and two hundred cakes of figs, and laid them on asses. And she said unto her servants, Go on before me. Behold, I come after you. But she told her, didn't tell her husband Nabal. Now, David's reaction to Nabal's insult was, of course, anger, which was understandable, but not justified. But the more he thought about what Nabal had said, the angrier he became, and the more justified he felt in taking revenge. As one commentator said about that incident, that there are times when some incident serves as a last straw. And that's when we need the perspective that Abigail brought to David. And God's word was heard and understood through her. Verse 32, David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, which sent you this day to meet me. And blessed be your advice, and blessed be you, which have kept me this day from coming to shed blood and from avenging myself with my own hand. So David was kept from acting hastily and revengefully. So God sent his spirit. He sent his spirit of love and understanding. God knew David, that he was a man after his own heart. And this, in a way, was like a test toward David through Abigail. But it must have uh, been predictable because David chose rightly. In Philippians 1, verse 9, well, let me back up to 1 Corinthians 2, I think it is. I'll just read there. 1 Corinthians 2, and verse 12. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. We know those things that make for peace, those things that make for righteousness, that's in his word and can come through us through the power of the Holy Spirit that is in us. And so in Philippians 1, we need to know these things. Verse 9, in this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. And the product of a good uh, heart, of a good spirit, is patience, which leads to peace. In Luke 8, we see that there are different kinds of soil where the seed of God falls. These, the soil is like, you know, the hearts in, in which the word of God is sown. And we see human beings that they are free to respond as they choose, to hold on to what they have or not. There are all kinds of events in our life which we can either let the word of God guide us or we can give in to the spirit of the world. In verse 15 of Luke 8, But that on the good ground are they, which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it, and bring forth fruit with patience. You know, like a farmer who plants his crops, he has, has a season of waiting to see the full growth uh, of that crop to grow. But in the meantime, you know, there's watering and, and weeding to be done and harmful insects to be gotten rid of. But we know that this is speaking of our attention that we should go against human nature and plant the seeds of the Holy Spirit in, in, in our life by overcoming evil with good. And it takes time, and it takes commitment, and it takes faith to see the result. Ephesians 4, verse 1. There, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy. 
the Greek word is axios. It means, you know, balance of scales, you know, walk in balance. That is to be balanced in our way of life, of the vocation wherewith you are called. And we see that following in the next two to six scriptures are qualities, they're, they're virtues that are fundamental to keeping the unity of the Spirit. That in verse 2, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all, and through all and in you all. In verse 15, as I read earlier, but that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring uh, fruit forth with patience. Verse 7. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended upon high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Uh, sk uh, skip these parenthetical parts. Let's drop down to verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, for whom the body, whole body, fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies according to the effectual working in the measure of every part makes increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in, in law, in love. So it's up to us to decide whether, you know, we follow the pull of the old sinful carnal self or the new creature's uh, pull toward righteousness. We make for things that follow peace. You know, God does not force us to be godly, but if, if, he, if we choose to be uh, godly, then God will enable us. Nothing is impossible with God. Wherefore, verse 25, putting away lying, Speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, and neither give place to the devil. You know, like instances where, you know, you might put away lying. Sometimes you might be talking to someone, and, and they will catch themselves and say, well, maybe I better not say that, because I, I would be lying. And so, you know, that's the spirit working, and that's how... The Spirit of God enables one to do the right thing, to not only maintain peace between him and God, but also others. We know that one of the devices of the devil, of course, is to sort of wedge his way into our thinking. And, you know, uh, once it begins, once something starts, and, you know, the fire grows. First uh, Peter 2. Uh, let's look at verse 22. We're to be as Christ. Verse 22, he's our example. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Hebrews chapter 12. No chastening, verse 11, for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. We know from Scripture that all of sin comes short of the glory of God. There is none perfect. But 
peace is we see is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. It gives inner calm. We can exercise peace when we're driving down the highway when you know there's there's cause to be uh, mad at someone who might cut you off. You remember the song as you know appropriate to us when we look at peace. The song says, "Let there be peace on earth and." Let it begin with me. Matthew 5, 9. We know scripture. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called the children of God. Romans 14 now. uh, Verse 19. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace. And things wherewith one may edify one another. Now to 1 Peter 3. Finally, in verse 8, be of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil, or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing, knowing that you are thereunto called, that you should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil, and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace. And ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. And his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them. That do evil. Peace on earth. Goodwill toward men. And. I'll close with this. Final scripture. That we looked at. In Luke chapter 2. Verse 14. Glory to God. In the highest. And on earth. Peace, goodwill toward men. This is the joy of reconciliation for which Christ was born. That is God's goodwill toward men and peace on earth. First, among the saints of God today, and then in the kingdom to come when peace is established on the earth.